Hey, mom and dad, how do you feel about disrespecting the impossible? What's up, parents? Welcome back to the Raising Competitors podcast. My name is Jake Thompson. I'm excited you are here. This podcast has been so much fun for me and just the conversations I've been able to have that I get to share with you. You get to sit in and listen as I try to discover additional ways to teach my future kids the importance of the traits of a winning competitor. How can I instill the lessons of grit, growth mindset, daily gratitude, pursuing greatness, and helping groom other leaders into my kids one day? And I hope that you have that same level of excitement, that you've been getting some knowledge from these conversations that you've been able to start applying in your life. We've had some good talks and listening to the shows are great, but my goal with that is that you'll take the lessons from these shows and start instilling them in your kids, practicing, testing, seeing what works, how they respond, so that your kid is set up for the best way to win in school, in sports, and in life. Today's guest is Arbonne Executive National Vice President Miranda Burcham. Now, Miranda and I have an interesting relationship because we met actually years ago. I met her husband, Bubba, first. He was a been a longtime supporter of Compete Every Day. He's been a member of our t-shirt club. Uh, he's just been a great guy, great all-around encouragement and support for the brand. And Miranda has become so too. In fact, we partnered up with her and Arbon last year to do a fundraiser for a group in Haiti called Jeremiah's House. It's a boy's home that her and a team have partnered up to help raise money for and support. So you're going to get to hear about some of her philanthropic work that Miranda's been doing, and which is just incredible when you hear the story behind this house in Haiti. But more than that, she has a full house of her own. In fact, her and Bubba have a full house of kiddos of their own and those that are their own now that they've adopted. So you're going to get to hear how with all of these kids running around their house, they still take the time to set the example, to teach gratitude. How are they teaching gratitude? I mean, that's one of those things that I've talked about in the past. I struggled with getting because for me, my mind was always with what's next. It wasn't what I have or where I've been. It's always on the go for what's next. And so Miranda and I talk about the fine line between continuing to be hungry and push for more while practicing gratitude with what you have. And so Miranda dives into how they exhibit that, how they teach their kids to practice gratitude in their life. And I think it's something that will be incredibly impactful with your household. Today is no bonus material. I actually want to share the entire episode with you. So whether you are a member or not of the Raising Competitors podcast, you are getting all of it today. So enjoy this conversation with Miranda. If you haven't yet, please check out RaisingCompetitors.com. You can find out ways to, one, get connected with us on Facebook or Instagram. But more importantly, you can find out how you can really level up the type of lessons and content you're getting from us. We have a ton of free available resources, including the podcast, our monthly newsletter, but we have some additional ones that are only for our members. That's less than $10 a month. That's like two Starbucks coffees or, or two beers at happy hour. Two things that if you put aside and just invest into the program, we're going to outfit you with lessons and activities every week. We're going to give you bonus materials in the podcast. We're going to equip you and connect you with other community members, other parents, just like yourself, we're just trying to raise the best kid possible to have a happy, healthy competitor of a kid that wins in school and sports and in life by being their best self and not worrying about what everyone else is doing. 
And so if that sounds like something of interest to you, check out raisingcompetitors.com for more info. If you have a question, shoot me a note directly. My email is jake at raisingcompetitors.com. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to meet you. If you're listening to the show, say hi. And now, let me welcome to the show, Miranda Burcham. Miranda, what's happening? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on. I've been familiar with with obviously your family. You and I have gotten to know each other the last handful of months as we partnered up on the disrespect the impossible. Uh, but obviously, Bubba has been uh, a longtime supporter of Compete as well, and I know a past member of the Shirt Club. So it's fun for me to get to have you on and, and introduce you to the community. Before we dive in a little bit to more of your journey, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and, and where's home. Oh, I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've lived here most of my life. We've been over to the, the University of Oklahoma for a few years. My husband and I both played sports there. He played football. I played basketball. So we were over there for about seven years. Um, came back um, to this area for him to coach. And so we called this home for about 10 years now over in Coweta, um, a little spot outside of um, town in Tulsa. And I've got five kids, been married for, gosh, almost 18 years and um, just loving life, loving this part of my life. All five of my kids are now in school, and I have some time to breathe and, <laughs> and shower. <laughs> and so it's really awesome. I'm really loving this phase of my life. I love that. And obviously, yes, five is a absolute full household uh, as well. And I didn't. Re- I don't think I realized Bubba was a coach. Yeah, he was. A, he played football at the University of Oklahoma. Yep. The national championship team. He was one of the captains. It was a really fun um, experience there. Then he was a GA there for a couple years, went on to NSU in college coaching, decided that was not for him. He was never home, and I hated it. He, he didn't like that his wife was unhappy. And so he decided to be a high school coach, and he was assistant coach um, at Johnny Broken Arrow High School in Oklahoma, and then for six years here in Coweta, where we live. And he's been retired from that for about six years now, being a full-time dad at home and doing some speaking and things like that. But yeah, that's one of his first loves for sure. I love it. I love it. Well, so tell me a little bit, because you kind of glazed right past this. You are uh, pretty well up in in Arbonne and have been involved in the company for a while. How did you get started? And tell us about kind of your role with the company now. Yeah, well, thanks for asking about that. It's been um, really one of the most life-changing choices that I ever made. 15 years ago, I decided that I was not going to be able to do the things I wanted in my life working full-time. I was a psychotherapist. I worked with abused kids, and I loved that work, but I really wanted more freedom. I wanted more time. I didn't want a boss. I am not good with a boss. I want to be able to go and do as I please. Um, However, I do love to work hard and work passionately about things that I love. And so I began just to pray and look for ways to be home with my son he was one our only child at the time but still make an income and my husband had actually mentioned Arbonne and I was like you know what you do Arbonne I want to keep a few friends I have I don't want to be doing something like that but as I researched it and read stories about all these successful ladies um, and some guys even too I realized that I wasn't stopping anybody from being successful in this business except for myself people were still joining things like this I just wasn't going to benefit from it So I decided on February 20th, 2004, to take a leap of faith to kind of get over myself and any pride I had and to go, you know what, I'm going to do Urban. And it's been the most, just such a life-changing decision. Um, And within a year, I quit my full-time job. I doubled my income that I worked six years to get my master's degree on. Um, 
two and a half years. Um, so I earned, earned the company car, which is a white Mercedes in less than a year. And in two and a half years, I became a national vice president. It's a top level in the company. And um, it's um, a place that really I never dreamed. I would have had to go to medical school and beyond to make the kind of income I'm able to make in this company. Um, but more importantly than the income, it's given us choices and freedom and so my husband was able to walk away from his job six years ago and be home with us we've been able to take all kinds of mission trips around the world we we're in cambodia and vietnam most of the summer last summer we go to haiti often we have a boys home there which i know we'll talk about um, we are able to homeschool our kids for several years and travel the country with them um, really truly i, I always say i want to live my life wide awake and save my best dreams for when i'm awake and not when i'm sleeping and our bond has allowed me to do that I love that. So there's obviously so many different things I want to talk to you about that I think the compete audience, the raising competitors audience will get value out of. First, let's talk a little bit about Arbonne. When a lot of people hear about companies in Arbonne of relationship marketing and they're built word of mouth, a lot of people turn and run because we've all had that bad experience, almost like we've all had that experience with a used car salesman or what you name the industry. Everyone has that uh, that stigma. I, I laughed the other day that, you know, motivational speaker has the same stigma that I'm Chris Farley living in a van down by the river selling like pipe dreams. You obviously have done an incredibly good job of not only building a career in that space, but of helping others succeed in that. And so I'm curious from your perspective, from your Arbonne experience, what has been the one to two things that you feel you've done right that have really helped you make an impact on others? Yeah, um, I think that's so true. I think growing up, I used to think the word network marketing, I thought it was almost like illegal. Like my mom had tried things and in the 80s, they like went out of business before she even got started. Like it was not the industry that it is today. Um, but I think when I approached it, the first thing that I did right was I decided that I wasn't going to let anybody else's opinion of what I was doing sway me. Um, the first few people I talked to were like, oh, don't do that. Or, you know, just, they love me, but they didn't think that it was something that I should do or that I could be successful at. And I remember getting off the phone with those people and telling my husband, like, oh, my goodness, like, even our own family doesn't think it's a good idea. Miranda, you need to listen to the people that are, are doing it and that are successful. Otherwise, you'll be worried all the time and swaying back and forth. And I'm like, you're right. And so right away, I decided I'm doing this. I don't care what people think. And having that steadfast mind in whatever you do, that convicted spirit is huge. And that's one thing that I coach people on right away in this business. And I've also taken it as not, I'm not out looking for people to sell our mind to. I really feel like I'm in the service business. I educate people about health and wellness products, but more importantly, I educate people about how they can own their life. And, uh, you know, I've always been an athlete and I'm good at building teams. And so that's what's helped me be successful at Arbonne. I haven't just concentrated on going, let me tell everybody all about the products and get, you know, thousands of people buying. I, I look for people that are already excellent at what they're doing in their life that maybe have a hole they want to fill, fill something they want to do that they're, they're frustrated because they're not doing it. And I show them how Arbonne could be a vehicle to help them get that. I love that. And one of the things that always comes to mind with me is when you share your story, you talk about you got involved 14 years ago with Arbonne. Yeah. So uh, it's been a while. Nowadays, you probably hear this all the time or people on your team of like the market's flooded. There's so many people in it. And, and you hear that regardless of if you're doing that, if you're starting a t-shirt company, if you're going into speaking, like whatever the case may be, we feel everybody's already doing it. It's too flooded. There's no space for me. I'm just going to buy in and then I'm out. What are some things that you do to kind of help break through those myths with a lot of people looking and, and considering Arbonne now that it's not really oversaturated? Right. 
you know, I think just an education thing. I thought it was saturated when I came in 15 years ago. And the reality was that people didn't even know what it was. Well, today our industry's changed so much. When I came in, Arbonne was a skincare company. You know, we had some makeup. Now we're literally, truly the number one global brand for health and wellness inside and out. We have evolved in 15 years. And now our biggest selling point is our 30 days to healthy living program we put people on. So now if you ask people Arbonne, they're like, Arbonne, Arbonne, is it the skincare? And I'm like, well, it is skincare, but there's so much more. And in anything, and when it's a good idea, people want to do it, but it evolves from there. And so I think nothing will ever be saturated because you're always going to be on the cutting edge of new and cool things. And Arbonne used to, all we could do was home parties. That's all we knew how to do. Now I do some of that, but I do most of my, my work from my laptop computer, from my cell phone. And I know in 10 years, it's going to even look different. And so when people say it's saturated, I say, why do you think people are involved? Because it works and it's really cool. I say it's the best gig in town. But the ones that really are successful are the ones that stay when it gets hard. And that's like anything in life, right, Jake? Like yep. you stay when it also feels like, oh, yeah, it's not a good idea. It's that convicted, convicted decided heart. And I teach, we teach our kids that. Anything in life you want to do, decide what you want to be and then go be it, regardless of what anybody else says. If you stay when others go and you work when others wait, you can be successful. I love that. Okay, so one of the things about that is uh, building your teams. You used to do the home parties. You now do it online. You have the sports background. You're coaching and helping people full time. You're working at this. What are some things that you see that have made for successful teams that not only work in Arbonne, but just out in life, successful teams in sports or in corporate America? What do they have that you try to build within your organization? Yeah. Well, first of all, I look for successful people. The successful people turn into successful teams. So people in life that are doing well, that walk in a room and they light it up, that have energy that are the most positive people I know, that are great parents, if they're parents, that are doing things right on a daily basis. And really, I look for the mindset, the way they attack their life. I, I hashtag a lot, champion mindset. And it's a mindset that sets you apart to help you become part of a good team. And so I look for successful people first. And then a part of a successful team is rooting for each other. I think especially in an industry in Arbonne dominated by women, people can think it's all about competition, and it's really not. In fact, we celebrate each other, whether... Um, people are doing better than us or whatever the situation we practice gratitude for what we have and really healthy competition but also healthy recognition and so part of a great team is recognizing the greatness in others we say we're life speakers in Arbonne and we're truth tellers rarely in life do you get people telling you the truth in love and part of a great team is being able to tell somebody the truth because you and you know and they know that you have their best intention so you receive it well and then also just celebrating successes doing life with each other being transparent all of those things um, really help you have a great team and then living full out we expect each other on our team to play full out and we call each other on it when we're not and we're playing small we talk about rising all the time whenever people are rising together that's something really special because most people in the world aren't rising they're surviving and our, we're over here thriving in our bonders because we're, we're holding each other to a higher standard. I love that. And, and you hit the nail on the head with, with all the pieces of a team and especially the accountability that goes in throughout all of that. I, I just posted something on the Compete blog the other day about the importance of accountability with the commitment, communication of the encouragement, the praise when you're doing well, helping everyone rise together, celebrating each other's wins are all crucial pieces of team. And so to hear you reinforce that is incredibly encouraging. For those watching us, they can obviously see your 
Disrespect the Impossible shirt, which was a, a very cool opportunity. Uh, we had created the shirt with work with Jeff Rose, who's a financial blogger out of Nashville. We'd done a run with it, and, and something about that message just sparked something in you to where you saw it as an opportunity, a message to make an impact. What? Tell me about like just seeing Disrespect the Impossible. What got you fired up about that? Uh, and then tell me about Jeremiah's house and tell our listeners more about just this awesome organization you're supporting. Yeah. Well, my husband kind of turned me on to compete every day when he showed me a shirt that said, because she dared. And he's like, Miranda, this is so you. And so he ordered it for me. And so I began to look at the website and I'm like, I like that shirt, but I love Disrespect the Impossible even more. And he's like, really? I thought you'd like this one more. And I'm like, a lot of people dare in life, but it's going a step beyond that and disrespecting what other people think is impossible and knowing that anything is possible. You know, my faith is really important to me. And I love the verse that says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so I love that the impossibility is, is a myth. It really is. And so when I saw this, I thought, that's what I'm about. That's what my team, my team to be about. And that's what I want my life to be about. That's what I want my kids motto to be. And so I just started gifting it to everybody on my team and running incentives around it, sending it out to everybody that I felt like was disrespecting the impossible moms that were working full time and still killing it in their business and still being great moms and great wives and still making it to the gym. Like they're disrespecting the impossible because the average Joe thinks, Oh, that's impossible. I can't keep that up. And I, I disrespect that. Um, you know, we're taught not to be disrespectful, but I want to be respectful of the impossible, right? And That's so right. I got at our, um, a couple different uh, impact training tours we had across the country. And I was like, how can I make an impact that people will not just go, oh, that's another good speech. And so I spoke about disrespecting the impossible and I had on a dress and underneath it, I had this shirt on. And towards the end, I started talking, I started taking off my clothes and they're like, what is she doing? <laughs> I, had this shirt. I talked about how, you know, even a, a, a just a normal speech can turn into something different. I'm going to disrespect what people say about what you have to do when you're on stage and clothes you have to wear. I disrespect that because there's more and getting out of the box. And so um, as I thought about disrespecting the impossible, I thought about the, the mission that's so close to our heart, which is um, in Haiti. You know, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And it's two hours from Florida. Like, it's, it blew me yeah. away. I went to alumni with the basketball team at OU. And um, when my son was eight, he's 16 now, my oldest son, and there was really no kids going. And I said, I'll go, but I want to take my son. And that was disrespecting the impossible because most people said you shouldn't take your kids over there. You shouldn't expose them to that. And I'm like, I disrespect that. I want to show my kids from an early age that life's not all about them. And the world they know isn't really the world. There's so much more. And we're called to serve. I didn't want to sit around telling my kids, like, eat all your food. They're starving kids in Africa and Haiti. I wanted to show them. And that's been really, really important to my husband and I. And so we began to go to Haiti. And I just was so burdened the first time I went there. And I thought, I'm never going back. There's nothing I can do. This world, the, the, it, it's a mess over there. And I don't know what to do to help. And so I'm not going back. Well, six months later, I was back with a group of friends from Arvon. And four months later, another group was more of my kids and my husband. And so we just began to go, you know what? We can't do everything, but we can do something. And we're not going to neglect to do the something that we can do. And so we've done, we've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff. In fact, my Arbonne community, we raised about a million dollars and we built um, 90 homes, for people living in tents. We built a child development center, um, just a lot of cool stuff. But recently last year, the burden was on me so much for these kids that were living in such extreme poverty, didn't have parents, or maybe had a mom, but the mom couldn't feed them. And so I partnered with the guy over that lives in Haiti that's actually just got a chance to come to America to go to college. And 
he and I, um, I, I kind of did the back funding for him and fundraising and helping him with the vision. And really he unfolded a project that we call Jeremiah's house. And it stands for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we named it Jeremiah's house. And we took in eight little boys from all over, really the country of Haiti. Um, and we started teaching them how to disrespect the impossible. And that looks like um, not having an orphanage, but we call it a boy's home. Most orphanages around the world, Jake, are heartbreaking because a lot of them are done for money for the yeah. people that are and they're treating the kids terrible. We've been to so many orphanages and I left a mess. I couldn't even function. I, I couldn't understand how this orphanage could call themselves taking care of kids. And so the first thing we wanted to do with disrespecting the impossible is showing the country of Haiti and other people that want to see a model of what a home can look like, a loving home for boys. We're going to disrespect the model of what an orphanage is. And we're showing them how you can love boys and you can love kids differently doing it without, we don't, we don't allow any spankings with our boys. We don't allow um, so many things that are just normal in Haiti and normal around the world. And then um, we, we decided that we were going to send them all shirts. We send them down. So all the boys have disrespect the impossible shirts on. Um, recently Barity was over in Haiti and we were supposed to go but the country's kind of in a, a protest mess right now so we couldn't but he took them to the grocery store they'd never been they're ages six to twelve never been to the grocery store and we let them get whatever they want which is incredible and they were putting all kinds of things in a basket and Barity was telling me about it and he said that several people came up to him and went where do we get one of those shirts to <laughs> possible it, 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 you have to have a shirt to put whatever you yep. want in a basket and he, we just laughed. And these boys, they really are disrespecting the impossible, what people think, um, thought their life could be, what they thought their life could be. We expect more from these boys. You know, there's, there's really no trash system in Haiti, but our boys' home, there's not one piece of trash on the ground, not one piece of trash around. We're teaching them how to pick up after themselves. Their beds are made every day. They have beds. They have free meals. They're different, not just rice and beans every day. They have tutors that come over after school. They're all in school. Whenever they told us when we enrolled them, they can't be in school. They can't even write their name. They can't recognize letters. They're all eight thriving in school. Um, we fully expect them to finish high school. We're going to help them go to college. In fact, we're talking about right now sending them all over. Arbonne takes an incentive trip every year. And this year, it's actually in the Dominican Republic at Punacana Resort. And I was talking with Verity this last week because he actually came to New York City with us. We bust him down from Pennsylvania. We had so much fun with him. He experienced what a bagel was for the first time and other things. But we talked about how we want to, we have a bus for these boys and we want to bust them over to where we're going to be at the incentive trip. And they're going to enjoy that week with us in Punacana. That's and again, awesome. Another step in disrespecting the impossible in these boys' lives. So what's what's kind of on the horizon for these boys? Is it still just going to be the single location? Is I'm assuming there's breaking the impossible visions for more Jeremiah's houses throughout the country. Yeah, you know, the first step is taking care of these eight boys. They're our number one priority. Um, I, I, I know in the future, you know, we're going to do more things, but we want to do it as a, um, as a natural birthing of Jeremiah's house. And so one thing we have for these boys is we're not just going to take care of these eight boys. We're going to show them how to begin to take care of their community, take care of other people around them, start teaching other kids that maybe can't come to Jeremiah's house to teach them how to read, to teach them, um, a relationship with God, to teach them what they're learning, to teach them what it looks like to be um, 
a, a godly man, a guy that takes responsibility and lives courageously and rejects passivity and, and accepts responsibility, all those things that we're teaching them in the pillars of manhood. And so the next step is teaching these eight boys how to go out and turn around and do the same. And eventually we may have more houses. We're looking at land right now to build something even bigger for them. But our goal isn't to keep taking in more and more kids. Our goal is to go, how can we help these eight boys make a difference when they're kids, when they're young, a young adult, when they're teenagers, when they're young adults, and as they become men, as they become fathers, as they become husbands, as they become businessmen in Haiti. That's really our long-term vision for these boys. So before I switch gears, tell us how we can find out more of Jeremiah's house. Where's the best play for someone listening that wants to learn more, support it, or get connected? Yeah, we have a website called jhousehaiti.com. And they can read about the boys, see the boys' pictures, see our vision, see our mission. They can donate tax-deductible donations right there. And um, they're also welcome to contact me. And I know we can give my information I'm here at the end also. Uh, awesome. About that. Thank you so much. So switching gears on that, uh, you're obviously investing a ton into these eight kids and these boys to help them grow into manhood. But you also have a house full of well as well at your house that you're raising up to be successful leaders at school, in their community, in life. One of the things that I love is getting to see, I guess, the, the kids growing up through y'all's social media because you post so many different pictures and stories uh, of all the kids. So how has that gone from having just one controlled somewhat chaos to a house full of five? <laughs> oh, man parenting has been our hardest adventure it's amazing because you're never off um you know we've had three by we have three biological kids they're 16 13 and 11 and we adopted our twins they just turned six a few days ago from foster care and we've had 14 different foster kids through our house since we've been married in fact um three of them came whenever our son was two and our daughter was nine weeks old and they came accidentally one of them was my husband's student in seventh grade his younger siblings they've been severely abused we went to visit him at the shelter just to kind of encourage him what do we know the next day we're home with them moving them all into our little bitty house one car garage moving our little kids into our rooms so they could all have rooms um, but we've known since the beginning um, of our marriage that we would not just be only about our family. We know that good families, they look inward. And extraordinary families, they look outward. And so we want to be an extraordinary family. And so I'll tell you, we've had more than five. We actually had seven in our house at one time. So five, most of the time, feels pretty tame. Um, however, the twins, we got them when they were four weeks old. They were drug-addicted babies uh, in the hospital, three pounds. And they gave us a run for our money when we came home. And really, for the first probably four years, my husband and I would look at each other and think, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, they're so different than our three biological kids, although we adore them and love them just the same. They've been tough. But um, I always tell um, – when I speak, when I, I actually teach right now a fitness camp once a week at a recovery home for women and they have their kids with them. They're going through um, um, getting, getting off drugs. And I tell these women all the time, I tell my Arbonne team, and I remind myself that your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And so we have to teach our kids a lot of things verbally, but really, Bub and I just really concentrate on living our life, disrespecting the impossible, living wide awake, living with an outward focus. And when we do that consistently, like we've done, our kids turn out pretty great. And they're amazing kids. Um, 
we say all the time, decide what you want to be and be it. We tell them all the time, everybody wants something in life, but very few are going to get it because they don't work for it. I remember my son, he wanted, he was playing basketball. Now he's a wrestler, but he was like, I really want to start. I really want to be a good three-point shooter. I really want to be a good dribbler. And I was like, honey, every little boy in the country is telling their mommy the same thing. But how many are going to do it? Very few, because very few are out there right now doing it. They're talking about it. If you want to do it, I absolutely know you can, but you can't keep telling me. you got to show me. And, you know, I think helping model, model that for our kids, running a home-based business has been huge for my kids. They see me get knocked down. They see me be discouraged. They've seen me cry. They see me fall down and go, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. But then they see me rise, and they see me get up, and they see me try again. And so modeling what you want your kids to be is just my number one success principle for raising awesome kids. Obviously, my kids aren't fully grown yet, so we haven't seen exactly what they're going to be. But for, for right now, for judging from the outside, they're the most amazing kids. And I know it's because we model that philosophy for them. And, and so on that note, I want to ask you, because your kids are involved in athletics. You've got wrestling. You've got, I've seen you pictures of you playing basketball in the driveway. They're all active in sports. And, and one of the things we talk a lot about with the Raising Competitors program is instilling those ideas of grit and effort and, and everything you're talking about. Of Everybody talks about wanting to achieve these goals. There's only a few little kids that are going to be out there doing the work. How do you all walk the line in terms of, of supporting them and encouraging them for their efforts, not necessarily the accolades? I love that question. We have never been big about putting our kids in sports from the minute they turn four and five years old. People keep asking, when are you going to put the twins and stuff? When are you going to put the twins and stuff? We let them wrestle, but they've yet to go to a wrestling tournament. Um, so we really let our kids determine how much they're going to push uh, without us going, got to get out there and practice. You got to get out there and do that. We encourage them, but we let them kind of set the pace on it. And I, my daughter, who's a really competitive runner and basketball player, I, she, she wins a lot and said that she does. And I say all the time, I am so proud of you, whether you got first or you got last, because it's not how you're, what you're doing. It's not the recognition you're getting. It's the way in which you're doing it. And so we talk a lot about that, whether I'm sometimes more proud of the kids that are coming across the finish line almost next to last that didn't walk versus one that's maybe getting second or third maybe not mine but a different kid that's not given their very all and so I point that out to my kids too I talk about it's not you know we all have different talents it's how you use your talent you know we have an 11 year old he doesn't like sports at all he's so different than my husband and I he just won the chess championship chess like I, he wants me to play it and he tries to teach it to me and I'm like honey I, I don't get it but he just won that and I'm like Brax I'm so proud of you it's not wrestling, it's not running, but the way you've attacked learning how to play chess and showing up every day, that's the attitude I love in you. We are, I'm getting ready to go to a, um, kind of a couple of days um, a, a recognition thing for him. And he said, Mom, I don't know how many awards I'm going to get. I haven't read as much as I, the AR points as I should have, and different things. And I'm like, Brax, I'm not worried about the awards. Again, I'm worried about your attitude around it. I'm worried about your work ethic daily. I'm worried about so many other things besides the piece of paper that you're ever going to get. And so we, we talk about that a lot. Um, we talk about the grit in my son. He's a, he's a sophomore. He just started wrestling a few years ago. And he's an amazing wrestler, but he's still not always winning because he's not as experienced. But I always say, I love the way you compete. I love the way you look at the opponent in the eye and shake their hand and look at the coach afterward and respect them to the ref. Those things are so much more important to us than if you were pinning every kid. Now, do we want you to pin every kid? Of course we do. But it's the intangible things. There's a lot of kids out there that are great at wrestling, but how many have high character? And so we really emphasize that kind of stuff with our kids. 
I love that. And, and those are the things that are so incredibly important for the kids, regardless of whether they ever play a sport after eighth grade, 12th grade, college or not, because those are the things that you need to be successful in life. We see it time and time again. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to just kind of ask you in closing is how y'all are teaching gratitude within your house, because you're a very grateful family. Y'all are of service. You're going on mission trips. You're doing a lot of giving with the success and, and things that you've had uh, have achieved in life. And so I'm curious in that situation, it's very difficult for certain families that have achieved the parents have achieved success for the kids to live in a constant state of gratitude because they're used to having a lot of things. I know that's very important for you and Bubba and it, it's very apparent by the way your kids interact and, and what I'm able to see from your family online. So how have you been successful in teaching that grateful heart, that life of gratitude to your kids? Well, I appreciate you noticing that because that's probably uh, the number one pillar that we have. We stand on as a family as teaching our kids to not be entitled. And in a world where everybody expects everything, we really, really want to teach kid, our, our kids something different. And so where we start with that is we're a steward of everything. We don't own anything. We don't own the success we have. God gave it to us. We have to steward it well. We don't own any of the money that we have. It's God's. We have to steward it well. We don't even own you guys. You're our kids. But God entrusted us, you to us, to raise you well. And so we better be doing a good job with that because we're the managers of it. And who, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I think always thinking about other people is so important. Like every night we talk about lots of kids in their class and we pray for them and we think about what they need. And my kids have always noticed like, mom, so-and-so has on really old shoes. I wonder what size they wear. I'm going to try to find out so we can get them shoes. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I, my 11 year old the other day said, mom, you know, every kid in my class and all their story. I'm like, well, I try to, because God tells us not to be only interested in our own affairs, but also to be interested in the affairs of others. And so talking about that with them, than taking them like almost every Wednesday we go to the women's shelter where the women are coming off drugs and we're with their kids and my kids go with me and it's like the highlight of the week mom are we going tonight and so again not just telling our kids there's other people out there that don't have as much as you you should be grateful they know it they see it they go to the inner city part in North Tulsa we take kids in we go to the women's shelter we go to Haiti they've been to Vietnam they've seen it with their own eyes and I'll try to buy my kids stuff. And my daughter's like, no, mom, I don't need it. I'm like, you've had those shoes for two years. And she's like, but they're not dirty. I've kept them clean. And my feet haven't grown that much. Please, I don't want new shoes. And my friends will go like, she doesn't want new shoes. And I'm like, I don't know. It's the lifestyle that we've, we've, we've tried to show them from the, from the beginning, not just again with talking, not just with our talk, but with our walk. And it, it served them really well. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's something that parents listening can see as ways that they can invest not only in, in activities that help teach their kids gratitude, but help fight that entitlement culture that is just running rampant. Miranda, for anyone that wants to follow along with you, your story, your family, maybe learn more about Arbonne, get connected, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, Instagram. I, in fact, I just started really posting on Instagram not even a year ago. And so I'm really learning it now, but I love it. And it, so it's Miranda Bircham on Instagram. And I love, I love getting messages from people, um, hearing their story. I love hearing about other people. Um, they can also um, email me, um, teambircham1 at gmail.com. Um, 
I guess those are probably the two best ways, but I love hearing from people. My very favorite joy in Arbonne is helping other people become successful, showing them the way all over the country and other countries that we're in. And so I'd love to hear from you and, and share my story. I've got a speech on my Instagram page on my profile that I got to be the keynote speaker at our conference last year. And you can check that out. I hope it encourages you. You'll see my son modeling grit by doing some pull-ups on stage in front of 18,000 people. <laughs> pretty fun. I love that. I was about to say, and I love that clip of him hopping up there and knocking those pull-ups out, uh, which is just absolutely inspiring. Miranda, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Absolutely, Jake. Thank you for having me. Congratulations to all your success and all the success that you're going to have in the future. I know you have a blessed company and it's going to continue to do awesome.